climb the tower, drink in the tavern, enter the dungeon, and slay the dragon, because it's time for Towers and Taverns, the 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons Real Play Podcast. Hey guys, it's Dungeon Master Chris here, and I'm just here for a solo cast, this very first episode. We're actually going to name this episode Zero. What we're going to be doing is a Q&A, and I have some questions here that I think will be good. Some things that I may or not be qualified to answer, but I'll do my best. I mean, I've been playing 5th edition for a while now, and I really, really love it. I played Pathfinder before as well, and I like 5th edition much, much better. I have a friend who calls Pathfinder Mathfinder, and I couldn't agree more. All those little modifiers started driving me crazy. I uh, really like some of the features of 5th edition, such as advantage and disadvantage. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Get straight into it for question one which is how do I get started playing? Now, this is something that I can't emphasize enough. Please don't go out and spend a ton of money on D&D without playing it. So, what you're gonna need to do is find someone who is hosting D&D, and that might be in the form of Adventurers League, which you can usually find somewhere like meetup.com, or if you just search for Adventures League, you should be able to find that in your area. And you're going to want to try to play a few games first, see if you like it, and then consider buying the books. Now, the only real investment for an absolute beginner is the set of seven polyhedral dice. So those are funny looking dice that are different than the normal dice that you, that you would get, like in a Monopoly set. What you're going to need is the polyhedral dice and those are starting with a d20 and what d20 means is the 20 sided dice so it goes d20 d12 percent dice d10 d8 d6 and d4 it should be it I might be forgetting something but those are all you really need to play for the first time and even that you really don't have to bring that because chances are if you're playing with people who treat this as a hobby they're gonna have multiple sets of dice now if it's you and your friends and you all kind of agree that you want to try Dungeons and Dragons but you don't have anyone to play with to try it you're all gonna try it for the very first time you're gonna to want to pick one person to be like the leader and that's later on going to be your dungeon master. And he or she is going to have a little more cut, work cut out for them. But um, don't get discouraged. You still don't need to buy anything really. If you and your friends are trying it for the first time. What you're going to need to do is get at least one set of dice. Okay, so I lied. You need one thing the set of polyhedral dice and if you're all trying it for the first time you can go ahead and share one set of dice don't all go out and spend five or ten bucks on a set and then decide you don't really like D&D &D. 
um, the PDFs are actually free. There's uh, a trial version of 5th edition that Wizards of the Coast put out. If you look for 5th edition PDFs on Google, it should take you to the website where they are all hosted. Now, I'm not talking about any pirated PDFs. It has to be from the Wizards of the Coast website or directed to that. And that's going to be a few races are taken off, a few classes are taken off, but it will let you try D&D without having to spend anything more than you did on the set of dice. Now, question number two is, how does a typical game go? Well, yeah, that's a big question. Uh, there's a lot of junk food, probably beer, too, or soda, if you're younger. Um, you and your friends gather around a big... Picture yourself gathering around like a kitchen table, you and four or five of your friends, and one player is going to act like a referee who's basically going to be describing all of the surroundings and what's going on, and then all the players take turns describing what they're doing. So the referee player is the dungeon master and he's gonna he or she is going to be describing say they're describing that you're inside of a building they're gonna tell you what it looks like and if they're a good DM they're gonna fill it with interesting people give them voices the dungeon master also has to act out all the different parts for the, because there's different people Oh, and if you didn't know, it's probably going to take place in a fantasy land, although there are different settings. It's called skinning, where you can actually play with the core rules and play science fiction or Game of Thrones themed, whatever you want to do. It's really open-ended. And um, the referee is going to be describing everything, and then it's up to the players to react. But then there are certain rules that decide whether or not the players are successful or not. So you can't just say as a player, I kill the dragon. Um, you're going to be put in a situation where you have specific abilities and specific things that you do, and then you roll to see whether or not you're successful. And then the dungeon master is going to have a number that you're going to try to beat. Usually you're beating the number. And um, I'm making it sound kind of boring, but it's kind of great because the thing is, anything can happen. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a world of fantasy. So even if you play a fantasy game like Skyrim... You are free to run around and do whatever you want, but you can't literally do anything that you want. It's just, with Dungeons and Dragons, the possibilities are limitless. So you can be who you want to be, go where you want to go. It's up to you, you and your friends. And uh, campaigns can last from a couple nights that you try D&D or campaigns can last for years. There's campaigns 
that have lasted a decade or more just because people enjoy so much out of the creative process of creating a world, filling it with people, giving challenges to your players, uh, being a different character, stepping into a different personality, doing a different voice. Role-playing is a lot of fun, too. I wish more people would get into the role-playing aspect. That is a lot of fun, too. So, um, the other question was, what are some of the races of 5th edition? So, right here I have a list of the core races. And we're going to start with Dragonborn. So, Dragonborn was... was uh, introduced in 4th edition and what they are is a humanoid dragon and they are great for a lot of different things and they get that plus 2 strength and plus 1 charisma so they're great warriors but if it seems to me I've always ran into dragonborn sorcerers as well so you can really mix up race and class the good thing about 5th edition is you don't I mean there's certain ways you can tweak it to where you are optimizing uh, when when races and class come together in harmony to give you the right bonuses but it doesn't make a huge difference um, you you're gonna want to pick something that is cool to you what sounds cool to you and then worry about your class later. And then after you've played for a while, you can start trying to optimize and, and use strategy when, when you're character building. So the next race is Dwarf. Now, if you don't know what a Dwarf is, I'm not sure why you're listening to a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, but um, picture the... Picture the dwarves from Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. They're your traditional short and stout people that usually carry an axe, wearing heavy armor, have a beard, normally Scottish sounding. And same goes for elves. It's like the elves from Lord of the Rings. So picture, well, with the dwarves, picture Gimli or the dwarves from the Hobbit. With the elves, picture Legolas or Galadriel. These are the slender, graceful creatures with the pointy ears. And there's different variations of elves. Just as there is a variation of the dwarf, the Dorigar, or Durigar, however you want to say it. And then uh, you have your gnomes, which are when we played, my wife played a gnome, and we always pictured him as basically a garden gnome. But uh, if you look at some of the art, especially 5th edition player's handbook, gnomes are like a smaller halfling. And um, they are really interesting little creatures, and... What I like about them is pretty much the same thing that I like about the halflings is that 
you're able to be dexterous and get in and out of places that other hulking characters cannot. So then you have your half-elf, and that is human-elf hybrid. These are people who are not really welcome in the human world, and they're not fully welcome in the elf world. So if you want to play like an outsider type of character, definitely go with half-elf. They are mysterious creatures, but they are powerful as well. Now, a similar thing with the half-orc is they're not they're half human half orc and they're not fully accepted in the orc world and they're not fully accepted in the human world so um the thing is you can't really play just a complete orc as of the recording of this podcast that may, that may change um but they are great for your tanks or your damage per round type characters. You're going to want to be a half-orc, especially half-orc barbarian is a great way to go. You're going to want to, if you're going to want to do a lot of damage and be a big strong character, definitely go half-orc. Um, then you have halflings, which are hobbits. It's the name halfling was completely just to avoid the copyright from the Tolkien estate they're hobbits and so if you've seen Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit they're Bilbo Baggins, Frodo Baggins um, and uh, they are like the gnomes I use them almost always to be uh, little dexterous creatures who can get in and out of small places and run around the battlefield going between people's legs and then appearing on the side and that kind of fun stuff um halfling rogues are almost always a good way to go with the halfling but you don't have to again you can mix it up however you'd like then you have human and that's what we are. And if you don't know what a human is, maybe uh, you're picking this up from space. I don't know. Um, but they have a they have interesting things that they do with stats. They get a plus one bonus to all of their ability scores, or you can get a plus one to only two, and then take the optional feat feature. So therefore. If you, I use them normally to get that plus one to all ability scores. If I'm trying to make a character that is like really jack of all trades or neutral or trying to have a character that doesn't have any minus ones or minus two anywhere, I usually go with human just to get that those bonuses. And that brings us lastly to the tiefling. Now these are half infernal creatures. And they look like uh they look kind of like Hellboy, I guess. They're like uh very de demonic uh, creatures. Um but that doesn't mean you have to be evil. 
you can be a good tiefling. You can be a tiefling paladin. I've seen that. Um, they're like they're very they're very interesting looking, and um, the role playing aspect of that is a lot of fun because if you're the only tiefling in a human town, um, you're gonna have some fun. All right, and that brings me to classes. So what you have is the cleric, and um, in previous editions that was just the person who walked around healing everybody, and they didn't really get to fight, and that wasn't very fun. In this edition, the cleric is somebody who can heal and fight, which is pretty much invaluable. Now, the classic setup is tank, healer, and damage per round, or damage per second. And in 5th edition, you really do not have to stick with that. I want to emphasize that you should make the character that you want to play regardless of what your party is doing. But if you want to have a strategy before you go in, you could go with that tank, healer, and damage per round characters because it does help to have those, but you're not going to necessarily die without it. Now, back to the cleric. The cleric, like I said, it heals and it fights. He's going to be carrying around a mace and likely heavy armor. It's like a it's like a paladin except for they are there's more emphasis on the ability to um, be a support character and a fighting character, whereas a paladin is like a combat heavy character. Now. That brings me to the fighter. Speaking of combat heavy, the fighter is the one that's going to be doing all these strategic fighting. Now it might seem kind of boring to just pick a regular fighter when we have all these different classes to choose from where they do all this different cool stuff. Trust me, the fighter does cool things too. They are the ones who are usually in command of the battlefield and gaining a tactical advantage on their opponent. Then we have the rogue. The rogue is your typical thief character. I think even in older editions it was called the thief. And that's your guy who's wearing a black uh, cloak and going around being sneaky and hiding in the shadows and climbing on the ceiling and <laughs> surprise attacking people. What I loved when I played a rogue was getting that sneak attack. You get extra damage if you're hidden first and then you attack. So their whole thing is to be seen only when they're striking and then disappear into the shadows. Now that brings us to the wizard. The wizard is, um, we should all know what a wizard is. It's like Gandalf. The difference between the wizard and other casters is that the wizard has to learn all their spells out of a spell book. But the good thing about that is you can learn pretty much anything. So you, you have less restrictions on the wizard. Now, we have the barbarian. The barbarian is your class where 
you're probably going to be a half-orc or a dwarf or some kind of strength race. And uh, what they do is they wear less armor, but they go into a combat rage, and it gives them bonuses where they basically go crazy. So picture like a... Um, like a Viking horde just coming into your city and smashing everything. That's what barbarians are. Um, the bard class is um, the guy with the loot or the, um, what's it called? Pan flute or something like that. The person who's singing and, um, you might be thinking, well, we're going on adventures into dangerous places. Why do I want to be the guy who normally sits in the tavern? Like the person in Skyrim who's in the tavern all the time singing songs. Why would I want to be that? Well, what they do is they're, uh, they're inspiring words and music are actually magical. And so the bard is a great support role. If you have a full party that's all doing different things and you don't know what to be, be a bard because they're a lot of fun. And you can also, with that high charisma, pull off some really funny uh, role-playing scenarios. I think there's a spell called Friend. If you cast Friend on a person, you can uh, have some some pretty good comedy there and some sneaky things that you can do with a bard similar to a rogue if you multi-class rogue and, and bard together that can be fun too alright so we have the druid now that is like the wizard they're a magical creature or magical character rather but uh, the druid turns into other animals. They can see animals that they've encountered on adventures and then transform into them during combat. So why would I want to do that? Well, you can transform into a giant grizzly bear and then maul your opponents and then when they, if they are successful in killing you, you just turn back into the druid and you don't you don't suffer as many consequences that way. And they also have all kinds of different magic that you can use. So it's like a wizard, but you can turn into an animal. Then you have the monk. The monk is a great class, where similar to the fighter, where you are doing tactical things in combat, but the monks use their fists, they use their feet, they use uh, staffs. They're, picture a Shaolin monk. Um, that's what a monk is. Or... Um, if you want to roleplay as someone like Bruce Lee, if you want to be Lee Bruce, <laughs> you can be a monk and um, punching people to death in combat is pretty funny. <laughs> and monks also do high flying stuff. I don't exactly remember how that works, but they can jump and flip and do all that stuff. A monk in the campaign that I was playing with um, we were fighting a monster that was flying over a bridge. Well, the monk jumped off the bridge, kicked and punched the creature, and then flipped backward and landed back on the bridge. So stuff like that, the monk is just absolutely crazy. And then the paladin, now that's like a holy warrior, so picture like a crusader. That's your guy in heavy armor, um, 
carrying all different types of weapons, but they have like a holy vengeance, depending on which domain of, of Paladin that you pick. Um, they're like holy warriors, I'll put it that way. So crusaders, knights, those type of people, people who aren't um, necessarily specialists in fighting, um, but are still combat heavy, and they do a little bit of magic, they do some some useful magic and paladin is really a multi-classy type of class and they can also i think they have some stuff where they heal either themselves or the party but uh paladins are usually always going to be at your table it's a very very popular class someone's always a paladin because it's just the pure amount of different stuff that they can do is awesome now this comes to the ranger. Now, I've played a ranger before, actually, and every time that I do play a ranger, someone says, ranger? I didn't even know that was a class. And that's because they're kind of weird. They're like a mix of the druid, how they're like outdoorsy type of people, um, very connected to nature, but they also are like the fighter in so far as they're like combat specialists too. So what I always build rangers to be is um, like a sniper. So they picture, back to Lord of the Rings, picture Strider. And Strider was a ranger. He was out there in the wilderness tracking animals and hunting deer and being able to survive in the wilderness and also be able to fight and provide a good supporting sniper role in combat and they also have some spells which are similar to the to the druid spells so i like them a lot because i always like being a wood elf ranger then that brings me to sorcerer now, sorcerers are similar to the wizard, where they're going to be your squishy caster that is standing in the back. Um, but the difference is they don't have memorized spells from their spellbook. Their magic is innate. They're born with their magic, and it, it grows with, uh, with experience. And they have a thing called sorcerer's points, which makes them do... Uh, extra stuff and different stuff from the wizard so take a look at the difference between the wizard and the sorcerer if you're considering being a caster sorcerer is always a uh, popular option as well because they're very powerful and that brings me to the warlock the warlock is another caster but they get their power from different uh, gods or spirits known as their patrons and um, I actually personally don't know a ton about the warlocks I've never played them before but um, the closest thing I can recognize is that they use well they use charisma as their spellcasting ability which is different it's similar to the bard um, but they get their powers from their patrons and then they have their own class of spells and the best I can picture them is like a witch 
So, like, if the wizard was Gandalf, or your classical wizard, the warlock is, like, a witch. So, good option if you, um, like playing the kind of creepy, um, evil uh, wizard, but you also don't really have to be evil, too. Let's go to a different question. One question is, how do you normally pick your stats? How do you know what your strength, dexterity, constitution, those things are? Well, I normally do a point by, and there's a section in the very front of the player's handbook that shows you how point by works. And I really love doing that because it allows you to fully customize your character the way you want. But the disadvantage is you can't get 18. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the best you can get it actually is 15. But then you add on your bonuses, which could be a plus 1 or plus 2. So you end up with uh, 16 or 17. And that's fine with me. I think that really works if you're trying to customize a character and make sure that you have it the way that you want it. But other people prefer to roll. And what you do is, well, there's actually a ton of different methods for this, but you, you can do it the, the hardcore way, which is you take 3d6 and then you go by one by one. You roll the 3d6, whatever you get, say you got a 12. 12 goes in your strength. Then you roll 3d6, and then and then 8 goes in your dexterity. And you're stuck with whatever stats you have that way. And you're stuck with designing your character around that. Instead of saying, okay, I want to be a wizard, so what stats do I need to be a good wizard? Um, this way you would get your stats first and then decide what you want to be depending on your stats. I hate this method. I would never use this, but some people may prefer it, so who knows. Um, then there's the way I've always rolled, if I'm going to roll and not do point by, which is you actually do 4d6 um, and you roll that six times and for every time that you roll you drop the lowest one so you still end up with 3d6 but you just drop the lowest score to give you a little edge um, and then you you put that in on on the side on a scrap piece of paper so let's say you got 15 14 13 10 8 and 8 uh, you would put that all on the side and then decide where you're going to put that. You're going to put 15 in strength, 15 in dexterity, 8 in charisma, because I'm not going to be talking a ton. So that type of thing. That is the easiest and best way to still have a customized character and roll. And you're also not going to have too flawed of a character. But the other danger is don't try to make a perfect character. Don't ever try to make a perfect character because that's boring. It's extremely boring to be this min-max person who 
only has one thing that you do and then you just do that thing over and over again and you're the Mary Sue and you don't have anything wrong with you. That's not a very interesting character to roleplay. And even in the combat, if you do the same thing in combat over and over again, that also does get kind of boring. So make a character that has something that they're good at, but also make him or her uh, flawed in some way. And the interesting is in 5th edition, with the backgrounds and personality traits, it's actually built in to where you can give them a flaw. You have to give them a flaw. Alright, so that brings us to the last question, which is how can I be a good player? And now that's a very open-ended question that could take a whole nother podcast to answer and a very long series, maybe a YouTube series or something. But um, I think I can boil it down to a few things. But the first thing that you should remember is don't be too competitive. Dungeons and Dragons is about going on an adventure in your imagination. So it's not about winning or losing as much as some people may try to make it out to be. Um, It's really more about the experience and the stories that come out of it. All the crazy stuff that happens by bluffing people or getting away with crazy things and, you know, fighting dragons. It's not necessarily about being number one or getting the most kills. In fact, people who play like that tend to get kicked out of their groups because they're very annoying. Now, what you're going to want to do, what you're going to want to do is, uh, first of all, be engaged. So don't be on your phone. Don't be listening to something. Uh, just pay attention. Pay attention to your dungeon master and pay attention to the other players when they're making their turn. And then make a, make a decision when it's your turn to make a decision. And don't be afraid to jump in there either. Some people just sit back and say nothing the whole time. And that's okay too if you're shy and you're not sure how to play. But you're really going to want to try to be engaged and there in the room paying attention. And you're also probably going to want to take notes. Maybe not the first time that you try it. The first time that you try it, don't necessarily take notes. But if you're playing a long campaign, yeah, you really need to have a little notebook with you in which you're writing down the names of places, people, and things. So um, take notes. And then uh, another one that is huge for me is be descriptive. So if you say... I hit him. I uh, I rolled a 15. I hit him. Um, that's okay, but um, what you're going to want to do is say, I swing my sword with all my might, and I stab forward. That type of thing. And then give your dungeon master the number. And then the dungeon master will take that description and say, 
Oh, you swing, but it just barely missed. The creature dodges out of the way at the last second. So you get all these little descriptions that are going out throughout the whole game, and that's what really makes the game world come alive, is the description and the storytelling and that type of thing. And uh, I really can't stress enough the idea of stepping into your character. Some people come to the table and they play the exact same character every single time and that character is them. My name is Bob. I play Bob. <laughs> uh, you're not going to want to do that. Try to be somebody else. Give them a different voice and really think about what they would do if they were uh, in this situation. And you're really going to want to try to step into that role. But step out of it when the game is over. Don't get too obsessed. Like me, the person making a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Alright. That's going to wrap it up for our very first episode. Now, um, we are going to get into the actual campaign in episode 1. So I'm hoping that'll work out great. And if it doesn't, hey, at least we tried. I'll see you next time.